0: Welcome to Living Holistically with Dane and Indy,
1: where we empower you with the tools and knowledge of some of our favorite experts to help create your optimal health and lifestyle.
0: We're your hosts, parents to three chickens and a dog in the hills of Melbourne, novice gardeners and health coaches serving other couples.
1: Thank you for being here today. We hope you enjoy this episode. On today's episode, we have food activist, environmentalist, and renowned author of The Vegetarian Myth, Lierre Keith. Lierre spent 20 years as a vegan before it was trending and popular, which led to a myriad of health problems that she's still dealing with the consequences of today. We go into our shared belief that veganism is unhealthy, it does not save the planet, and it does not save the animals, as well as the catastrophic modern agricultural movement leading us into societal collapse. Make sure to check out the show notes for the link to her book and where to find more of Lierre. So Leah, thank you so much for taking your time out today and having a chat with us. For people that don't know about your journey or never heard about you before, would you like to share a little bit about your your journey in the way with your diet and your health and how that sort of impacted your life?
2: Yeah, um, so I I was a vegan for 20 years. Um, I became a vegan when I was 16 uh, and I did it in the way that most people do it, which is that... I was friends with somebody else who was a vegan, and I became convinced very quickly that this was the thing I should do. So there was another teenage girl who her whole family, they were vegans, and they were really into it. Uh, And after, you know, just a week or two of knowing her, uh, I mean, she was good. She had all the information. She laid it all out. And I was very susceptible to this because I, number one, I grew up in a really urban environment, so I really had no idea where food came from. So when she presented me with all of this, um, first, you have the stuff that's really compelling and very true, like how horrible factory farming is. And, you know, I was uh, very, just really upset about it, which we should be. It's awful what's happening to animals. So that, that's, I think we can all agree, no matter what we decide to eat, that that's something we need to just stop. So that, that was definitely compelling. But also, you know, all the other kind of facts and figures that she presented me with, I didn't have any way... To know that none of them were true. It seemed Mm. right because I. Especially
0: back then. Well, Mm. yeah. I
2: mean, this was, you know, 1981 or something. I mean, it was like, I just didn't know and I didn't even know where to look to find whether this could be true or not. So it seemed like it was true. And then, of course, I read more books. You know, everything that she recommended, I went and and read. I sort of devoured all of it and it, it all seemed to make a very complete picture. So you could save the planet, you could feed hungry people. You would certainly help animals. You know, it was supposed to be the best thing for everything. If you just do this one thing, which is take animal products out of your diet. So I did that. Um, and I of course regretted it, but being the sort of fanatic that I was, uh, I did it for 20 years. So at that point, uh, you're going to end up with permanent damage. So I did. Um, some of this just doesn't get any better. Um, and Oh, gosh, on the way out, it's a really, it's a hard, hard thing when you do it, especially for that long, and then you decide that you can't anymore, and that is inevitable. I mean, it's just inevitable. It's not a diet that meets the needs of the human template, so eventually the rubber's going to hit the road, and you're going to need to get out, but it's very hard because I think the, the main problem with being a vegan is that it's not just what you eat, it becomes who you are. So it's like your whole sense of self is caught up in this. And that's another reason that it's very, very hard to engage with any information that is counter to the vegan worldview. Um, You know, you, you end up in this very fundamentalist mindset where you can't, you just can't let it in. So I really, for 20 years, this was the angel that I wrestled with because I never stopped being intellectually curious. And I was always, from a very young age, really compelled by what was happening to the planet and why you know it was just this driving question what has gone so wrong <laughs> like why are we destroying our only home why does this seem like a good idea why are we doing this where did it start what's it about so i was still very i was always exploring that i was you know just reading voraciously having all these discussions with people trying to figure out what is this and every time i got to kind of the final conclusion which was yeah, it's agriculture where we all went wrong. Um, I couldn't because, of course, that was my food as a, as a vegan. That's what you eat, and I couldn't. Uh, I just couldn't see my way around it. So I would kind of struggle with it for a while, and then I would just put those books away and move on, you know. And it, it it's you sort of living with this this sort of like constant. Like I know two things at once and they're not meeting in the middle. So you just have this internal conflict all the time that you're you're trying to resolve and it just can't be resolved. So the only good thing about like, you know, the, on the final day when I stopped being a vegan, like the, the one relief and all of that was realizing that I could be honest at least and really start to engage with all of this other information that I had slowly been gathering, both experiential knowledge in terms of growing my own food and then also, you know, all the history of, you know, the human race for the last 10,000 years, all of it finally, I, I could finally take a look at it, just sit down and think about it for a year or two. But then I got really tired of having the same discussion with people because, you know, it all fought, found a place for me pretty quickly. Like, all right, I understand. This is agriculture. It's inherently destructive. This is where the destruction of the planet begins. It's the worst thing we've ever done to the planet. You know, we're destroying the topsoil. It's biotic cleansing, like all of this. And... Finally, you know, I would start to have these discussions with people, sort of in my, you know, my social network and my friends and whatnot, and it it just gets exhausting after a while because it's the same talk every time, like you know, and you have to start from what is soil, where does it come from, you know, what what makes soil like, how is it built, and then okay, and then what is this food? How is it? Where does that come from? And what is it doing to the planet? And I can walk you through that, but you know, it takes time and you know often these discussions of two or three hours and then at the end of it there'd be like one or two people who were like oh wow this is really interesting i'm gonna i'm gonna you know try to think more about this and you give them some books to read and stuff but it was like this is really slow also getting really tired of it so i thought i think i just need to write a book so i did i wrote a book called the vegetarian myth and that's kind of my my claim to fame uh and i remember even when i was writing it my uh My significant other at the time saying to me, "You know, you're not going to be famous. What you're going to be is infamous." Because they don't want to hear this. It's like, well, I have to write this book. So, anyway, that so that's kind of my story, where 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 it started, where it ended. Um, I did do permanent damage to my body. So, one of my one of the reasons I wrote it. I mean, I did get bored of having that talk, but I also very strongly feel that I would like to reach those young, idealistic. You know, little fanatics. Who me? When I was 16, um, you know, there's always another generation, and we need those people. I mean, that's if anybody's going to change the world, that's who's going to do it. But they're wasting their time being a vegan because it's not going to do anything. None, none of its promises are going to come true, um, and they're not. They're not actually identifying the source of the problem. They think they are, and that's very commendable. But there's more. They don't have all the information yet, and I'm just trying to give them more information so they can keep going because they shouldn't have to do there's a whole generation of us out here who already tried this and we already understand that it's not going to work and that there's better solutions for what's gone wrong but somebody needs to kind of lay it out so I'm hoping that I've had some role in at least some of that but things are really different than when I was 16 there really is way better information out there and there are people who really are uh, making a huge difference in terms of repairing the planet and the ruminants and the grasses and all of that and it, it's really our only hope so um, i i just hope that anybody who's listening who's still sort of in the throes of all that confusion can can follow this you know follow this thread a little bit and see where it goes because there's, there's really good information now
0: Mm, and just to give um, our listeners a bit of context as well, one point, um, could you share as well how you were doing veganism? Because a lot of people talk about in terms of health effects that if you're having health of, you know negative health effects that you're just not doing it right. So do you <laughs> want to share sort of how?
2: <laughs> so I thought that too. Mm. It's a very strange sort of cult mentality where mm-hmm. your health starts to fail mm. and then you double down and say, well, I'm not being pure enough. So I'll do this instead. And then I'm still not being pure enough. Cause now I feel even worse. So I'm going to try this instead. And you know, I even did like the raw thing for a while. I mean, it was absolute madness, but you know, you just keep thinking, this is the way out. Like this is the truth. And this is, you know, this is like the good way it's the, you know, the, the best option it, it has to work because otherwise what is there? you know, you believe in it so strongly, even though, you know, the evidence of your body is saying, no, you're falling to pieces. Um, but anyway, so I was never a junk food vegan. I mean, all of that time that I was a vegan, I would not touch anything that had sugar in it. So I ate no white sugar that whole time. Uh, I didn't, and I wouldn't eat white flour or white rice. It had to be, you know, whole beans, whole grains, all of that. And in some ways when I did it, it was a little bit easier because there have not been invented yet all of those strange sort of faux meat, processed bizarre foods. None of that existed. Um, when that came along, and I started to eat it, things got a lot worse for me. So, especially the soy. Yeah. When we talk about soy, yeah. that stuff's just toxic. Yeah, yeah. to it's just nasty. <laughs> and you know, the more of that I ate, the worse I got. So, I mean, it could have been worse if I had been doing this in 1995 instead. It would have been you know, all of that stuff existed and I would have been eating a lot more of it. So back when I did it, I mean, we didn't even have soy milk. Like, you know, it was just like beans and rice and, you know, variations on that. And I remember the first time that we saw the, that like vegan ice cream they make. And I I think the first one that we had access to was called, um, what was it called? Soy, something soy, um, and we were just ecstatic like oh we can have ice cream again it was me and my sister it was, it was like a little natural health food store that was like around the corner we went running up there to get it and we were so pumped there were like two flavors and it was like oh we can have ice cream it was so fun but it's you know it's just garbage yeah. it's like that processed soy is really the yeah. worst so anyway it was I think a little bit easier back then because you really had to cook your own food you couldn't just buy these weird analogs that were like good a- situation so my diet was incredibly pure um and then like everyone who's a vegan i would have these moments where i would like fall off the wagon um, and it was usually they would be very confusing experiences because the biological drive especially for dietary fat is overwhelming when you're not getting any especially when you haven't had any for two or three years i remember the first time that i like cheated i had been a vegan for i think two years at that point And it was like this bowl of, it was like a dip that was made out of sour cream and cream cheese. And it was like put in front of me on a table and I, and I couldn't stop staring at it. And it was like, I was obsessed. And so I ate a bite and then there was no stopping. And there's like this, you know, the whole narrative that you've heard as a vegan is that if you cheat and you eat dairy or eat, you know, God forbid meat, you're going to get really sick because you've been so pure that your body will just reject it naturally. And I had heard this so many times. So I was waiting like, Oh now I'm gonna vomit or something terrible. And I felt so much better and it didn't make any sense. I'm like, I've just eaten the terrible poison that's filled with pus. That's really meant for baby cows. And why do I feel better? And I did the relief was so profound and that's just my poor little brain. Like actually getting some animal fat. Of course I felt better. But I had no way to explain to myself, why did I feel better eating a pile of dairy fat? So then, of course, you feel so guilty, like, oh, I'm not going to do that again. So then, you know, a year goes by, two years goes by, three, like you're super strict all over again. And then, of course, there's another moment where, and I remember the second one, it was an egg salad sandwich. And it was the egg, and my sister was with me too. And so she was also a vegan for like, she did it for like 14 years, I think. Um, And we were standing in a store, and we were both just starving, of course. there was like these little like sandwiches packaged up. And of course the only one that was vegetarian was this one that was egg salad, which of course wasn't vegan, but the only other things were like bologna or whatever, like which of course we weren't going to eat. So it was like, but we both of us, we both remember this too, like just staring at that egg salad sandwich was like, we have to have that. And we did, we bought it and we split it. And it was the same thing. Like the brain relief is so immense And it doesn't make any sense because you're supposed to vomit and feel really sick. And of course, you feel guilty. But your brain, it's like, I mean, your brain is almost 80% fat. That's what it's made of, is like cholesterol. And if you're not eating it, I mean, this is what happens. I've done studies on this. Your brain shrinks. You can lose 5% of your brain matter. Like the weight of your brain shrinks by 5% if you're a vegan for five years. That's what happens. So this is an organ that's 2 million years in the making. It's why we're human and you can destroy it by just denying yourself animal fat and that's what I did. So, yeah, that was no fun. So what comes with this of course is oh gosh, all of those kind of mental emotional problems. You know, it's, for me it was just terrible depression and anxiety that just never lifted. No, and and none of it made any sense either. Now it, it's almost a joke, but I mean, it was real suffering. Like if I lost my house keys or my wallet or something, you know, like put it on the table and whatever, you, you know, couldn't find it, I would be lying on the floor crying because I couldn't find my keys. And that's just not normal. You think it's normal because if all your friends are doing it, you're all kind of in that state all the time where you just can't keep a stable mood. And smallest thing can just pitch you off into the abyss and it would be an abyss every time and then there was no crawling back I mean that would be the it for the day there was no bounce you know I mean now I understand why it's like you know you've got your neurotransmitters and then you have you know like this is how your brain actually communicates is on the little synapses and all of that is made from either amino acids or fat like that's what how your brain works and if you don't have either uh, it just it can't fire. There's nothing to connect. So it, that's what I was doing to myself over and over. So I had terrible depression, anxiety, all of this, and that's really very classic. It's I mean there's been so many studies done on this, and people who eat low, feed, low fat diets, uh, vegetarian diets, especially vegan diets, it's like you're two to three times likely to have those kinds of issues. Um, up to it including quite tragically more suicide you know it's really quite serious and i definitely met people you know in the aftermath who um, had psychotic breaks from being vegan like yes. were hospitalized and of course the only thing that helped was um, you know the day that they decided I you know they was one guy has a story about smelling his mother baking a turkey it was Christmas or Thanksgiving and he smelled the turkey and it was like this light bulb in his brain went off and he was like if I can make myself eat that, I will feel better. And there's just like that sort of native intelligence of, you know what? That's real food. I remember what it felt like to eat that. I don't have words for it, but I know. And he knew and he sat and he ate turkey and within 48 hours, he was perfectly fine. And this was after being hospitalized, you know, it's just, and I just got so many anecdotes like that from people. It's yeah. You eat real food, you save your own life. So it's hard though. Like it's, you know, you, you, when you're in this ideology that says you're a murderer and you're killing the planet and you know, you're you're starving because you're so greedy. It's just like from every angle it, you oh I can't, I can't, I can't. And then, yeah, no, it's terrible. And and I believed it. So of course I felt like a terrible person each time, but I would feel better for 48 hours. That's so I did that. Um, I mean, if you want a list of all my ridiculous health problems, I also, I stopped menstruating almost immediately, which is super common for, you know, women or athletes, whatever. If you're if you're not, if you don't have enough body fat, that's yeah. what happened. Mm. Well, I
0: can say even, I think, not eating much meat for about a month, I almost like lost my period and had a really big impact yeah. on my hormones. It's huge.
2: It's huge. And I mean, I understand this now, but at the time you, you get into that weird world where they have explanations for all of this. And the explanation was, well, and it's, it's very misogynist, but it's, you know, you, you uh, menstruation is because your body is is toxic and there's poisons that have to be released, but you're eating this really pure diet, so you don't need to do that anymore. That's not true. I, mean, I hope everybody listening knows that, no, actually, it's the buildup of the endometrium getting ready for a fetus. Well, it is, people, and then you got to clear it out and start over, but it, it's got nothing to do with any of that, but... Um, that yeah, I believed it because it it was the only thing that made sense, and of course it's not true. Um, all of your your hormones are made from cholesterol, so cholesterol is like the mother substance. It's the building block of every single. Um, and if you aren't eating any, um, your your body has these great ways of sort of, you know, prioritizing staying alive moment to moment. So it'll whatever little bits of cholesterol you can get, and your body does produce some. Um, your body will shuttle those off to things that are keeping you alive now because it wants you to stay alive. And from a biological perspective, you can have a baby at some future date. Mm, like, exactly. do that here when there's more food? Let mm. us know yeah. when there's you know, fat on the animals again, when you're mm. not starving. We can talk about a baby, but until then, we're just shutting that shit down um, and we'll just keep your brain functioning. So that's what happened. Um, you know, the moment that I started eating real food, it it all came back. And the the really dramatic one was when I took the soy out, which I did a few months after all of all of my you know learning to do this again, and then and then I started to get all the information about soy, and I I was I was kind of horrified honestly by what I'd done, and I, I went cold turkey on soy, and from that point, um, and I'm not exaggerating, it was 28 mm-hmm. days, boom, 28 wow. days, <laughs> it was you set your clock by it, and that's how it went until menopause. So it was you know between the starvation and the soy, it. Uh, there was no way I was going to reproduce. So, um, and that could be quite tragic. I mean, there's plenty of women. Who, I didn't ever want to have a baby. So it wasn't that big a deal for me, but if I had wanted to have a child, I, that would have just broken my heart. And, they never, I mean, it's, and you go to most doctors and they have no idea, it just, and I would tell them, like, you know, I don't really get a period. And they're like, oh, well, you can go on
0: birth control pills if you <laughs> yeah, want. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's always about so adding good. more hormones in and more things. Yeah, to was, yeah. and
2: nobody asked, oh, gosh, are you eating any animal mm. fat? It's just, it's not even in their kind of in their vocabulary. So I did that. Of course, I destroyed my insulin receptors because when you eat a vegan diet, it's, It's just it's sugar. I mean that's all it is, and it makes you feel happy to say, well it's complex carbohydrate. I mean you can tell yourself that, but the thing is, you know how our digestive digestive system works. It's by the time it gets through your intestines, it's broken down into simple sugars. So it may be complex when you put it in your mouth, but by the time it's done, it's not. It's that's how it gets into your bloodstream, is it has to be broken into pieces. So it is all simple sugar at the end of the day, and eating a vegan diet like that it's just sugar sh- load of sugar mm-hmm. every single
0: time yeah. Yeah. Eat. we always try and explain that about rice rice i think is the most yeah, common it's, one
2: it's bad you know it's it's just that's all i did was just i so i was riding that kind of that roller coaster of the too high too low too high too low blood sugar thing and then the insulin surge and i mean this is how you can one of the reasons that you can see that we were never meant to eat that kind of diet the um because insulin is a really blunt instrument Right. If you eat, if you if you eat too much food, if you eat too much sugar of any kind, um, our brains can only function within a pretty narrow range of sugar. And so it's a it's pretty narrow. And if you eat too much, or if you've got too little, um, I mean, you can fall into a coma and die. So it is a biological emergency, right? And what you need to do is just keep it steady. That's when your brain is the happiest. And of course, that's done eating mostly fat. Um, but if you're eating, you know, like the kind of vegan diet or the high high carb you know kind of thing it's just this all the time so you get all of this yeah, the fruit the whole wheat whatever the rice the potatoes and it comes and now you've got way too much sugar in your blood and and your your body knows this is a biological emergency and the response is this huge surge of insul- insulin from the pancreas and insulin will grab every single thing that it can it's again a blood instrument and it will Everything that's in your blood, it'll just shove it into the sh- into your cells for storage as fast as it can. And this is so you don't die from too much blood, you know, because if it's too high, you'll pass out. So now, of course, it's done it too well. So now you're gonna have a drop in your blood sugar. And this is when you get hungry, and you're shaking, and you're crying, and you're sweating, and your mood is just insane. You're angry, you're so upset about nothing. Um, there's all this adrenaline because, again, it's a biological emergency. And there's just no way to keep to, – just to keep your mood stable. And the only thing you can think about is food. So now you shove another handful of sugar into your mouth. And it starts all over again. You can do that once in a while and you'll be all right. But, I mean, I was doing that five, six times a day. And by the time I was being a vegan, I was honestly eating every 20 minutes. I mean, it was just semi-constant. And I have since, I mean, since all of this, you know, I figured all this out and I've, you know, gone to a totally different to eat, but I will go to gatherings where there's still plenty of people who eat that way. And I'm amazed at how bad they feel. And you remember what it was like. And there they are. And it's like every half an hour, they have to take a break and put some other, you know, little yummy thing in their mouths. It's like, I know what you're doing. It's not going to help. Like the only thing you can do is get off this roller coaster but it means you've got to stop eating corn chips and rice cakes and you know grapes and apples and what like what you know little granola snacks and out and out chocolate whatever it is like it it's all sugar and this is all you're doing like you're not it's not going to end till you just take it all out so I destroyed my insulin receptors so I'm permanently low carb like that's they don't really at at, at the point that I did it it's uh they don't really resensitize resensitize some people if you do it for a shorter amount of time, you can get back some normal function on that, but it's it's pretty much for me. So I can cheat a little bit now and then, but I, I do pay the price. I mean, I'll feel pretty sick, for hours, so it's not really worth it. So I did that, and then um, the more serious stuff, I um, I destroyed the joints in my spine. So I have disc disease, and it's very severe. Um, I have it at four levels of my spine, and that started two years in being a baby, and. It took me 15 years to get a diagnosis because wow. I was way too young. Yeah, what were some of the symptoms? Time. Well, well, it's just pain. Yeah. It's like this constant sort of gnawing pain just in the center of the joint. Like you, know, you can't touch it. It's like way in there. Um, and I just remember just going to doctor after doctor and like begging them to figure out what was wrong with me. And they didn't even ask me the right questions because I was so young. Like your spine doesn't fall apart when you're 18. That's not a thing. You're, this is, it could happen when you're 80, but when you're 18 – I hadn't been in an accident like it wasn't like I was a car accident or you know that that kind of um you know precipitating incident they would call it there was nothing in my history and they were like oh, I don't know what's wrong and they would you know go see another specialist and at that point they only had x-rays and it doesn't show an x-ray eventually there were MRIs but that took about a decade um and then I did finally get the MRI 15 years in and they were like, well, it's, this is no shock. We don't understand how it happened, but you just, there's nothing left here. Your discs are just gone. Wow.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah it's bad. And there's nothing anybody can do about that. Um, so I'm in morphine level pain every day. Wow. Um, you, you don't want to do this to yourself, kids. That's just, yeah. And this is where it ends. It's, and some of the only people I've ever met who have my condition are mm-hmm. also recovering. Ah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's, it's very strange, you know, to me, cause it's just, it's such a weird condition to have. Um, and it's always the ex-vegans who come and send me the little email. I did the same thing. It's my spine. Sometimes it's their hips and their knees. You know, there'll be other joints that fall apart. Like my sister, it was more her her ankles and her knees. went. She also did ballet when she was younger. So strain, I think, on those joints for her. Hers got a lot better when she started eating, you know, animal fat. She's nowhere in, she's not in like the chronic pain that I'm in. But um, it's, yeah, you'll wear out your joints. And you're not getting enough minerals those joints um, and very particularly soy uh, block the absorption of zinc and zinc is essential in creating that matrix of the cartilage so the more so- soy yes very much but the more soy I ate I absolutely contract this to remember I mentioned all those kind of soy products the more of those I ate like it was just physically more pain like very quickly the more I ate those at the time i couldn't forget why am i i mean it was bad enough to start with but it's getting so much worse why is it so much worse and it wasn't until i got out of the whole thing and read all this stuff about soy i was like that's what happened to my spine that's why there's when i was eating all that that's why it got so much worse it was that's it was there's the answer you know So there's no there's not really any pulling that one back um When I did switch to a more traditional diet and you know sort of went sort of paleo, eating all the good animal fats, uh, my pain level was dramatically decreased. So I did get a lot more function back, and I think some of that is just the inflammation levels. Again, is one of the problems with eating these sort of plant-based diets. It's all omega sixes and there's no and that's just the recipe for inflammation. So it took about two years of eating a more appropriate diet, but my pain level did go down and I mean, I'll take what I can get. Like, it's I'm not going to get a medical cure, but but it's you know better than it was. So I did that. I had a couple other smaller problems, like um, like my skin was incredibly dry all the time. and it Doesn't sound so bad, but honestly, it would keep
0: me up mm. at night. Mm. It was. Yeah, so and your dry. skin looks amazing now. Yeah. <laughs> but like, wake up at night, like scratching because it hurts oh. so much, especially mm. in the winter.
2: Yeah. You know, because I lived in a very yeah. climate and it just so dry it was like bleeding. And um, when I just when I my, so my first like step out of vegan world was reading all these books about low carb diets and I was trying to help my mother who was diabetic and a friend had passed on it was actually the Atkins one of the Atkins diet books which you know those were really mainstream and I was like oh this is interesting and I started to read it and then I realized it's like I have all of these symptoms I'm actually I've actually got this thing called low blood sugar how strange Lacebia, what a concept. And I, and I realized, like, I do feel really sick all the time from this. Maybe I should try this, too. But, of course, as a vegan, there's, like, nothing to eat. So my very first thing out was I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start eating eggs, and I'm going to find, like, happy eggs from, you know, chickens on all that. I was like, all right, I can do that. They actually have those eggs available. So I started eating eggs, and, like, the first three or four days, you, know, you feel so sick when you go into that kind of carb withdrawal. Just every time you eat, your pancreas has been, like, it's been programmed to just it's like Pavlov's dogs, you know, like every time you put up it's like surge of insulin. And I was like, Oh my god, I'm gonna pass out, I feel so sick. And it took about four days for that to stop and then it just stabilized. But I ate I must have eaten four dozen eggs like those first four days. Because I just kept putting it was like the only thing that helped was eat to eat a little bit sort of all the time. And I just kept eating eggs because it was really all I had. And peanut butter. Um but the point is that on day three of eating eggs. I woke up in a completely different skin like it was color in my face but I could bend my arms and legs and it didn't hurt because it had been hurting for at least a decade just to move because there was no flexibility so yeah I mean it was like wow this there's really something to this anyway so I did this stupid skin thing um, what else I think that's pro- oh my thyroid of course I ended up with Shimoto's from so another reason not to eat soy. So I have autoimmune disease. Um, and then, uh, the problem is once you get one autoimmune disease, you're likely to get more. So now I have three autoimmune diseases. <laughs> um, might've been worse if I had kept being vegan, but, um, I didn't, I didn't quite get a miracle cure with that one. It is certainly better. And I, I take low dose naltrexone and of course I'm gluten free and I do all that. And all of those things helped for sure, but I still, um, it's still here and I it is a long road, and I have, and then you know when I hit menopause, things got worse. That's very common for autoimmune stuff. So I also have um, psoriatic arthritis. So I've got a little more joint stuff going on now. I'm on very low levels of medication for it, and it seems to keep it like more or less contained. But you know, it just kind of sucks, and uh, it does get very boring talking about your own health problems. So <laughs> don't want to hear any more about that. <laughs> Talk about other things more global. Yeah. But those Mm. are the things that will go wrong. If you do this diet for long enough, you will get depressed. Um, You will have dry, itchy skin that really hurts. Your reproductive function will absolutely collapse. You will eventually destroy your joints. Um, Oh yeah, I also ended up with gastroparesis, which is my stomach doesn't produce enough hydrochloric acid. That's from the blood sugar swings. You'll get that too. You'll blow through your insulin receptors. Um, It's not going to go well, so not really worth it. Because none of it's true. You're not going to save animals, you're not going to save the planet, and you're not going to feed hungry people.
0: None of the political... Yeah. Mm. Do you want to go into some of those arguments a little bit more? Yeah. Like so the main, the sort of the main concept
2: for me when I was really wrestling with this ideologically was trying to understand how, it, what it, what were people, what were, what were humans doing that was so destructive to the planet? Because clearly, you know, we were here for two million years and we didn't wreck the place. So, what went wrong? Like, why did humans start doing this? And what actually is it that we're doing? And that all comes down to one word, and it's agriculture. So, for like, uh, Lauren Cordain is an expert in Paleolithic nutrition, and he uses the um, the concept of like a, a football field. I don't know what you call that in Australia. But I guess like a soccer field, but I don't know. Pick your athletic field. is probably about the same length. Um, that entire length up until the last one-fifth of a yard is our time on earth being hunter-gatherers. And then the last fifth is uh, the time that we've done agriculture. So it's like this tiny little bit. And then like there's like, you know, half an inch is the industrial revolution. So it's – that's the scope of time that, that we were here and we really didn't do terrible things um, and then all of a sudden everything changes and you have in you know, like 12 places around the globe people start doing this other thing and it's called agriculture and so what that is in really blunt terms you take a piece of land and you clear every living thing off it and I mean down to the bacteria ultimately and then you plant it in just for humans so all of those plants and animals have nowhere to go and It's just mass extinction. So it's biotic cleansing, right? Because all the life is just is just moved off it, and that's what that's just in very blunt terms that's what it is. So at this point, 98% of the world's old growth forests and 99% of the world's prairies have been destroyed, and it's so that we can just raise humans on it. And what this means is that every single day, 200 more species are going extinct. That's forever. I mean, they're just and those are our kin. Like, and even if we can't find it in ourselves to love them, which to me seems insane, um, even if you can't do that, you have to know you're dependent on them. We can't produce oxygen for ourselves. You know, there are animals and other plants to do all of that for us and to create topsoil and to make water happen and, you know, to provide food for us. We are – you could have, like, a functioning world that only had producers and degraders – um, we're not either of those. We're actually just con- like we're way over here. Like we're carnivores, and it's just we're not needed for anything particularly. So all of that life is necessary to keep us afloat. And if we kill it, I don't know what I don't know what anybody thinks the future is here when species yeah. are being pushed off that cliff sort every of single day.
0: Scientific food they can create. <laughs> yeah. I,
2: I don't know what they think they're going
0: to do. Hmm. Literally,
2: two out of three breaths is made possible by. The oxygen that the plankton produce in the ocean. And the plankton populations are crashing now because the oceans are too acidic from all the carbon. So, you know, there's still some rainforest left pumping out some oxygen, but there honestly might not be oxygen in 100 years if we keep this up. And I'm not saying that as a joke. It's quite serious. Like, this is what we're doing to the planet, right? And it all starts with this activity called agriculture. So you take over that land... You kill all those plants and animals, you push them off into extinction, and then you just plant it for humans. So the problem is that temporarily, it increases the human population. Because instead of sharing that land, you're only using it for humans. So for instance, where I live in a sort of temperate forest, it would take maybe a square mile or two to support one human, but using agriculture, you can just do that with an acre or two. Because there's nobody else there. I mean, I share this land with bears and mountain lions, and you know, there's salmon in the river, and there's you know, all kinds of hawks, and there's bunny rabbits, and you know, like everything, foxes, everything out there, we're all sharing it. But if I was just going to do agriculture, none of that would be here. It would just be me and whatever crops I was growing. So very temporarily, you can have way more humans. The problem is that because this is a destructive activity, you eventually run through all that topsoil. Every time you do this activity, you're, you're drawing down the soil. So eventually, you've got nothing left but desert. If you think about the places where agriculture began, Iraq, <laughs> the Fertile Crescent, nobody in their right mind would call that place the Fertile Crescent now. It's just a desert. It's just rocks. There's nothing left. And that's, that's the ultimate that's the endpoint of every civilization. There have been 34 civilizations. Every last one of them has ended in collapse because it's drawdown. So now you've got all these people dependent on this activity and they're, they're using up their soil and also their trees and their water and their energy and whatever they've got, it's all being used. And their population is ever expanding because that's what agriculture does. And now they have to conquer their neighbors and take all their stuff because they're dependent on it. There's too many of them. They've got to get their food from somewhere else. And this is the pattern of every single civilization. You have this bloated power center and it's surrounded by colonies. Um, so every civilization ends up militarized because nobody in those hinterlands is going to willingly give up their land, their water, their trees, their fish, their soil. You have to conquer them. Um, and then the other problem, of course, is that this is a backbreaking activity. Um, hunter-gatherers spend like you know whatever 15 hours a week just to provide for their basic stuff but for agriculturalists for the farmers it's dawn to dusk it never ends so they're always it's always based on slavery so you usually have about 90 percent of the population is enslaved and that's the other reason you military is because you can't have that number of people enslaved without military to keep them there so they have to go get them you know and, and then force them to be slaves so it's been an absolute disaster for the planet, but it's also been a disaster for human culture. Because up until that point, I mean, we mostly lived in, you know, small sized kind of tribe tribal situations where decisions were made face to face and you didn't have that level of hierarchy. And I'm not saying that everything was perfect. There's certainly archeological evidence to show that we were not always the nicest people, but, um, you know, things were more or less egalitarian. And you can see that in things like the grave goods where you know when they when they find when they excavate these graves everybody has pretty much the same stuff in their graves now you can compare that to like the pharaohs of egypt where you've got you know one dead body with like a thousand other people killed buried with him and you know all the treasure you could imagine is there and then you know the grave of the slaves of the serfs which is just like nothing but you know one little pot or something so it's quite clear that there's a hierarchy going on there um, so it, things were certainly better. And nutritionally speaking, I mean, hunter-gatherers have like perfect bones, perfect dentition, and there's just no evidence of the, what are called the diseases of civilization. And they're called that for a reason. They don't have the, quote, diseases of hunter-gatherers. Right? They're, they're eating to the human template. And then agriculture comes, and the very first thing you see in the archaeological record is that people shrink six inches and their teeth start falling out and that's because you've, you've got all the problems that come with this diet. It's, you've got the problems of excess and then the problems of deficiency. So the excess is the sugar and the omega-6s, which create that whole inflammatory state. And then the, def- the deficiencies are just endless. I mean, all the minerals like your deficiency, sometimes in the skeletal remains, you'll see iron deficiency is so bad that it actually creates changes in the bone, particularly in the, like, the children's skulls. It's just absolutely ghastly because this would have been really painful conditions. Um, and then of course the teeth don't fit and you can see there's um, like way higher infant mortality. Um, you know, even as adults they're still losing teeth um, and then the bones are just riddled with all kinds of diseases which are just not seen in the, the hunter-gatherer population. So this is why anybody who's an anthropo- uh, like a physical anthropologist or an archaeologist, they can look at a bone and tell you in five seconds whether it belonged to a farmer or hunter-gatherer because it's so distinct the differences so it's been a disaster for the planet it's a disaster for for human culture and a disaster for human health so the real question is why anybody did this and we don't really know the answer to that like, it's still kind of an open question why did humans take this up because life was way better before um, anyway so that that's kind of my spiel on agriculture um, so now I mean, we've kind of pushed this to the brink though the whole all of these previous civilizations were limited to a more human scale um, because they didn't have the internal combustion engine. So the supply lines could only get so big. You could only bring in food from so far you know, back to the power center, and then also the military supply lines could only get so big before they snapped because they only had things like horses or elephants or whatever, but they didn't have engines. Um, sometimes, a lot of times you'd have, like, around the Mediterranean, you know, they used boats, and they had, you know, huge navies and stuff, and you could transport stuff that way. But even the Roman Empire was only going to get so big. Like, the Alps saved a lot of Europe from the Roman Empire, because they just couldn't get over the mountains. So, there's, you know, there's there were limits to these civilizations before, and they would collapse, and then it would spring up again somewhere nearby, and then that one would collapse, and that's been the pattern. But with the invention of the, the of you know, fossil fuel and, and the, the engines, um, it's gone completely global. So there's no place left to take, it's everything that has been turned to agriculture, it's it's a done deal. Like There's no more continents, there's nothing left to conquer, um, and what should have happened by 1950 was that's when the collapse should have happened, all right? I'm not saying that with any glee, but that is the ultimate fate of every civilization if you use up your stuff, you are eventually going to collapse, right? If, if it's headed downward, you're going to hit zero eventually, right? That should have happened, because by 1950, we were basically out of topsoil. Um, and what happened instead was this thing called the Green Revolution. So they had learned to use, they had learned to make usable fertilizer from nitrogen um, during, it started in World War One, and then definitely in World War Two, and it's this thing called process where they take oil and gas and they can extract the nitrogen it's very energy intensive but as long as oil and gas are cheap it can be done and they used to make bombs because that's what a bomb be out of. but then it for the peacetime use they realized oh this is this is a solution to this problem that scientists had seen coming for 50 or 60 years that that we were going to be out of nitrogen that the soil was simply too depleted and nobody knew what we were going to do then well that was the answer it's a temporary answer because we are gonna run out of oil and gas. Um, but for now that's what we're eating is oil on a stalk. That's really how the food is being produced. So and there's basically no human being alive who doesn't have it in their in their tissues now. That it, it just comes from oil and gas. so um, it's a pretty scary thought. There's six billion people who are only here because of fossil fuel. It's there were 1 billion people at the beginning of the fossil fuel age. So, you know, the year 1800 and there's now over 7 billion. So that's all because of fossil fuel. And I don't know why anybody thinks this is a plan with the future. We're going to we're already on the downslope of the curve in gas. So I, the thing is, there are ways forward. It's just we can't really get anybody to face the scale of the problem.
0: This episode is brought to you by Barclay Eyewear the only blue blockers created by a health professional, and that will protect you from day to night from the harmful spectrums of artificial light. If you haven't heard what all the fuss is about, make sure you check out Season 1, Episode 6, where Dane and I delve into all things light and circadian rhythms to understand why these are a game-changer for your health. And to say thank you for your support, we've got an exclusive discount of 15% off if you use the code HOLISTIC15. That's H-O-L-I-S-T-I-N-E. T I C 1 5. Just head to com. That's B A R K L E Y E Y E W E A R.com.
1: Yeah, that comes into, I think a lot of people like Liz, hearing that just what you've shown so far, it's like it's the truth. And a lot of people don't want to accept that as well. But I think such a powerful um, message that we can give out to the world is that we no matter what the like, was coming up from above the power and the money that's involved with having that sort of control it, the power essentially once we realize it's within the numbers of people like us. And so if we mm-hmm. actually start to uh, p- uh, put our money towards things that actually regenerate things as well. So if we stop feeding the system, it will collapse, but that takes a volume of people for that to happen as well. So mm-hmm. people that might, might not feel like they have much, um, faith or even control of the future or not
0: you know eating animal products is the only way but um yeah what are some of these um better ways that don't contribute to that well
2: really the best thing we can do is remember that we need to be taking our nutrition from inside biotic communities rather than imposing ourselves across them and that was what we did for our first two million years on this planet so it's not really a hard stretch, we just have to remember how to do it. So the number one way you can do that is to buy your food from grass-based farms. And this, it takes, you know, you've got to kind of wrap your mind around these concepts, but there's a huge difference between annual plants and perennial plants. And annual plants only live, and they're called annuals because they only live one year, so usually two or three seasons. Um the thing that annuals do that perennials don't is that they create really big seeds, and that's because they've only got a really short time to do it. so all of their energy goes to the future to reproducing. So that's why you have annual grasses that were eventually domesticated into things that humans could eat, so like wheat or corn or rice or whatever. Um, it's the seeds were just big enough to be worth harvesting, you know the energy that it takes to get them was just barely worth it for humans to do it. And then, you know, we sort of figured out how to domesticate them, which means just making that seed bigger and bigger. Um, Perennials don't do that. So if you think about perennial grasses, and of course the ultimate perennial plants would be trees, um, they don't grow, you know, in in two or three seasons. I mean, it takes, what, it's 800 years here until the trees are mature. So uh, it's a long, slow process. And they have many, many ways to reproduce Um, and it doesn't usually involve seeds particularly. Like the redwoods almost never grow from seeds. They grow, one tree falls and then more come up from it and that's generally how they reproduce. So they can reproduce other ways. Most perennials have sort of multiple strategies um, but the seeds aren't really the thing because they have plenty of time to get it done. Um, So annuals come in when there's been a big disturbance and that's like their moment because if there's a fire or a flood or an earthquake and the ground is bared, that is an emergency for the planet, it's an emergency for life. Soil needs to be covered, and quickly, and that's when the annuals spring to life, and so they will cover that as fast as they can. So th- this, those big seeds have been waiting in the soil, maybe for um, decades, you know, waiting for their moment. And then the moment that, that whatever the fire comes through, whatever happens, then there's no competition from the perennial roots, they'll spring to life. So for a few years, you'll see all these annuals, and then eventually the perennials knit back together. So it's like if you, you know, if you cut your hand, you might put a Band-Aid on it. Uh, that's the that's what the annuals do. They're the Band-Aid. And then eventually your skin knits back together, and that's the perennial plants doing that. And what the perennials do is everything else. So they, they have very, very deep deep root systems, and that literally holds the soil in place. That's the matrix for soil. And then the root systems are very, very deep because they have a lot of time to make a really extensive root system. And that's how water enters the soil is through those perennial roots it actually makes a channel for for the water to enter and the the roots also kind of suck it in because the plants are thirsty and so they'll they'll help help bring it down and then the entire thing acts like a giant sponge so then over course the course of the summer as it's getting hotter and hotter and there's less and less rain um, the grasses can they can grow dormant on the top but underneath the soil is where all the biological activity is still happening and they can then use that water that, that they've stored to to keep themselves alive and also to help the rest of the community stay alive so it's everybody's working together like they're doing their part now the thing about grasses in particular is they are really good at low moisture environments so where there's more water more rain you're going to have a forest but then in the areas where it's drier which is two-thirds of the world's surface or land surface uh, you have grasslands um, and that's because there's not very much rainfall and grasses are really good at surviving those those dry times Because they have this ex- really extensive root system that that's happening below the surface But you can't just have grasses without the other members of that community and this is the part where you know a lot of the vegetarians and the vegans start to balk but the You cannot have grasses without you know some kind of animal usually a ruminant at least on my continent, it's ruminants. I'm not sure about Australia, but um, you know that's who eats the grasses, and it's a symbiotic relationship, like everything in nature. So if you don't have anybody to eat those grasses, what happens is um, the, there's 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 no way for the dead grasses to um, break down into smaller usable bits. So it just kind of piles up on the surface, and so you have all this dead grass that is really only gonna fall apart with mechanical weathering. So it takes a very long time. And in the meantime, it's killing the grasses that are underneath. So you you then have, there'll be like openings to bare soil that just get bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually there's just, even the plants that are there just can't stay alive anymore. And then you just have desert. Um, Now you add a ruminant to this and what that buffalo or that cow will do, um, and you can see they evolve together because Unlike trees, grasses actually grow, the growth point is down near the bottom of the plant. So like when I look outside my window and I see the redwood trees, the new growth is always the very end, so the tips of the branches is a brighter green, and that's this year's growth. So it's the end of the plant, but with grasses, it's the bottom, and that's because it wants to be eaten. So in comes your you know, your ruminant taking a bite, and then that action stimulates, it actually stimulates the enzymes that produce more growth. So Grass wants to be grazed. It wants to be eaten um, because it evolved with creatures that were eating it. So along comes the ruminant and eats it. And then now you've got the next step of this, which is, okay, it's very dry. It's summertime. There's no biological activity happening on the surface of any of this because there's not enough moisture. So why isn't everything dead? And the reason is because inside that ruminant, there's a whole nother ecosystem. And the ruminant and a whole bunch of bacteria also make a symbiotic relationship so the exchange is the ruminant says I'll keep you alive and I'll keep you fed you can live inside here inside this rumen um, and you in exchange are going to digest this grass with and that's who does the digestion is the bacteria um, and then the ruminant actually eats not the grass but it eats the bacteria so the ruminant does the chewing and the swallowing, and then the bacteria actually does the breaking down, and then the ruminant is actually eating high protein, high fat bacteria. It's not actually eating the grass. It looks like it's eating the grass because it's, it's biting it and swallowing it, but it's not actually eating it. Um, so they have a symbiotic relationship as well. And then out the other end, you have they're basically sort of mobile watering and fertilizing units. At the other end, of course, comes the manure and the urine, and the manure especially is um, just teeming with bacteria. And it's that bacteria that is needed to keep help keep the grasses alive. So they're constantly repopulating areas with the bacteria that are needed to keep the entire system moving. So you have grasses, you have ruminants, and you have the bacteria. If one of these species is taken out, you will end up with desert. They are all three meat. And then the fourth thing that absolutely has to happen is, if you just leave them there to do it, they will graze the place to the ground. They'll graze too hard, they'll graze too, hard. I mean, they're lazy, they don't really wanna go anywhere, why not, I'll just keep eating. So the fourth species that you need, of course, is the predators. And they keep the animals tightly bunched and quickly moving on. So it's grazed hard and then everybody moves because there's wolves or there's bears or there's humans, there's you. that's our role. We're supposed to keep them moving. Um, And if you do it right, that's what you're doing is you're keeping them tightly bunched and moving on and you can There's all kinds of names for this. There's you know, holistic planned grazing There's like, you know, people have come up with ways to mob grazing to describe it But that's the basic we have to be those predators on those creatures Um, And also we eat them and that's part of it as well Like every single creature in this cycle is going to get eaten Like we can't take ourselves out of the cycle and have something left that will stay alive the grass has to be eaten by the bacteria, the bacteria has to be eaten by the bison, and then the bison has to be eaten by a wolf or a human. And in the end, the soil eats us all. We're all going to go back to the soil in bits and pieces. So, And that's what life is. And you can see that as a like this incredible hole that has been building itself for millions of years. I mean, grasses have been around for like 500 million years. and they couldn't have done it without ruminants and they couldn't have done it without bacteria. So all of us play a role in this. Um, And I think the problem for me when I was a vegan was that I, death to me seemed like this terrible thing. I was was, scared, slugs. I was, just the idea of an animal having to die for me was something I just couldn't bear it. So I pretended that my food involved no death. I was completely wrong. It was in fact the worst possible food I could have been eating for the planet. Uh, but I didn't know that. And so I just thought, well, if I look at my plate and there's no dead animal, oh thank God, nothing died, and i I feel you know mollified. i I feel happy in my soul, nothing died. I had no idea that when I was eating brown rice, I was, you know destroying an entire ecosystem. I didn't know I just didn't you know, like I didn't know what the you know, the Midwest was supposed to look like here, that there should be you know twenty five different plants per square meter and sixteen mm-hmm. million bison. I had no idea all of that had been removed so mm. i can eat my you know happy death exactly. free, you know soy. Yeah. it's like no that entire half
0: the mm. continent is wrecked yeah and that's just in the initial clearing and then yeah, there's I know. I know. yearly <laughs> yeah. what gets and killed less and less. I
2: know. Mm. yeah so um anyway that's so you can see that 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 it's to me it ended up so we've got you've got the cycle of life and and the only you've got two choices you can be part of that cycle You can acknowledge that cycle and, you know, try to hold it in its sacredness and protect it and participate in it in the most humble way that you can think to do. Um, But always you have to protect it. The other option is just to pretend that that's not true and somehow think you can get out of that cycle. But the the foods that you're left with at that point are actually the ones that are destroying that cycle because it's all annual grains. You know, it's all these kind of annual monocrops, which are the problem. And that took me a long time, like, just to come around to that understanding. And part of it, like you say, the slugs, yes, I <laughs> had all of my own experiments with trying to grow my own food, and I really had mm. to prove to myself that it couldn't be done without death. Mm. And it was really hard. I don't pretend to of this is easy. I still wish that mm. nothing had to die. I really yeah. hate it when baby bunnies get killed by the hawks. Yeah. But I also want the hawks to live. Mm. Like they're I know. they're amazing creatures. How can your heart just soars mm. to see them up there? But I know what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, they have to eat the baby bunnies. That's, yeah, it's the way it is, you know.
0: Mm. And
2: it's it's a it's for me. It's still very hard. But I, a friend of mine, um, she, um, I was still really struggling with this, you know, in the beginning about the death and that everything's gonna die, and it just it was just heart wrenching for me. And uh, she just looked at me with such compassion, and she said. You know, Lier, for something to live, something else has to die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just reality. And, you know, yeah. part of it, and this is, it just sounds so ridiculous, but, mm. you know, it's like the, that was the wisdom of her people. Like, it's just, mm. she's Native American. And it's just like, uh, she's known that her whole life. Yeah. She's, wow. she's, this is what we know. This is sacred knowledge. Mm. And you need to know this. I was like, yeah, well, nobody told me. And, you know, here <laughs> yeah. I am, like, whatever, 35, 40, going, like, oh, i to die. She's like, of course, it's going to, like, that's, it's okay. You know, like it's, you can participate. It's an amazing thing to be alive. And all of that is true. I'm so glad I got to be alive. It is absolutely, it's a miracle moment to moment. And we can
0: never forget that. I think it's our culture as well. Like that yes. fear of death. Yeah,
2: it's all, all of this. yeah. and, not and Everything's just so cranked now on kind of the, you know, ultimate bizarre computer realities. And like, nobody knows what, when they asked children in England, what was more important of fi connection or sunlight and, most of them take the wi-fi connection exaggerating it's terrifying i know so anyway so here we are at the end of the world um so yes but this is the best thing you can do is support local farmers find the people who are doing grass-based farming and help them go to their farms buy directly from them the more you can buy directly from them the more money they have the better they can do their job um and the nice thing about grass-based farming is that actually most people can make a living at it. Um, not truly, I don't know how it is in your country, but in the United States, most people who grow the sort of commodity you know, foods, the annual monocrops, they can't do it without huge subsidies from the US government. So every year we have the farm bill and they try to work out how much we're gonna pay farmers to keep growing corn. And it, it's horrible because they're essentially serfs. Things are so bad, in farm country that it doesn't actually matter whether you're a poor farmer in india or you're a farmer in the united states the number one cause of death for farmers is suicide yeah mm. it's the same so, here
0: too. Actually, yeah, they are yeah.
2: pushed up against the yeah. wall they are not the enemy oh, no. they are not the enemy it is not their fault
0: yeah um, a lot of them are born into it yeah no well. and they're
2: doing their yeah. best they think yeah. they're trying to save their land and they're trying to save their family traditions and i'm sure they they love the place where they live but they've sold a bill of goods and it's never going to work. Um, The land needs to be repaired, and the farmers who have learned how to do this in a better way, and the the real proselytizers on this are are other people who have already been through it. So farmers who are growing corn have turned to bison and they can talk to their neighbors about what they're doing and why it's working mm-hmm. yeah that's when you get people who really will sit exactly closer. we mm-hmm.
0: personally know someone in victoria as well here that's turned um their parents turned their dairy farm in victoria into a biodynamic um fruit, vegetable farm so, yeah, where they regenerate the soil, obviously, in biodynamic methods. So, yeah, I think that's a much more profitable, ended up being much better for them. Um, and it's smaller scale, it's healthier for everyone, obviously. So, finding those people that have, you know, they're doing that sort of thing is crucial, he said.
2: And it, and it really works. You know, it's, it, it, you can learn, the, the techniques aren't that hard to learn, and you, you really can make a living pretty quickly. Um, and there's plenty of people who can show you how to do it. So there was, I remember once I was a, a young man who came to one of my talks and it was so moving. He sat in the very front row and he just cried the whole time I was talking. And I was just, I was so moved. And then later I got to meet him and it was exactly that story. He'd had this farm in his family for, you know, four generations or something. And he had read my book the year before and really struggled with it and he every morning he would get up and look outside the window and he's like she's right we are destroying this land there's nothing left there's no soil and i don't even have a way to make a living i can't even support you know my family and then you know he went ahead and he figured out how to do it and now he's got it's all grass and he's got all these heirloom cattle that he's growing on it and he's like you know even in the first year it came back to life the stream came back the birds are back like there's all these creatures that haven't been seen since my grandfather's day and you know he's just he's so grateful and of course i'm grateful because that's what i want the world to be i want the world to the life, so we can feed people doing this that's the thing um there do need to be fewer people and that's i mean people get weirded out when you know and i understand there have been terrible things on this planet in the name of like you know population control but that's not something that i would ever um you know, that's not the side I'm on. The side I'm on is that we need to give women and girls um, the power to make decisions over their lives because when you do that, the birth rate drops really quickly. Uh, we know, this has been studied inside and out, that the number one thing that drops the birth rate around the world is simply teaching a girl to read. Because when girls have that much more power over their lives, they can grow up to be women who choose, they will choose to have fewer children. If, if they're able to do it, they will. Um, As it turns out, all things being equal, if everyone has enough to eat, some basic security and good health care, the average couple really only wants about two children. So we actually do have kind of an inbuilt, um, you know, like just sort of a mechanism in there somewhere that, that, that will adjust, you know, to our actual desires for, you know, having a good and full life is actually replacement levels for the human population. And of course, there's people who always want more children. And then there's people like me who don't really want any. So it evens out. But that is what happens. So there are now, I think, 34 countries, no, 40, 42 countries around the globe that have either steady or negative population growth. So, And it, it's just done by supporting the rights of women and girls. So that's something we should be doing anyway. But as it turns out, um, it really is the only thing that's going to save us. So it was really never people versus the planet. Like, there are a lot of people who get into this oh we're inherently destructive and there's this terrible battle between people and scarcity and like that's never it's not true it was never people versus planet it was always people versus planet
0: and sorry recognizing i think because we've recently gotten chickens we still eat chicken but we can recognize like that beautiful spirit within our chickens and you know all chickens that are part of our lives we love our chickens so much like
1: there are pets and so we but that brought even more level of Connection and consciousness that we want to only support the mm. best quality ever. Whereas the, I think yeah. what happens in that veganism extreme world is that they're so disconnected from and so farmers or farms. even from being Focus. close to animals and really
0: mm. like
1: we can really honor that side of it yeah. and we still eat our meat. Even and-
0: before it goes in your body, you know, you can be really grateful that this chicken died for you and you can be really appreciative. Yeah,
2: I had chickens, I had ducks, yeah. geese, guinea fowl. The goats and I like oh and pigeons mm. and the goats. So and I'd love to I, loved them. Yeah. I, mean, I, I miss, I'm gonna get chickens yeah soon. I just I love having chickens. Mm. They were and the ducks too. They're mm. just so cute, so yeah. funny. So they, intelligent. They, oh people I people you don't know until you have mm. some yeah. just yeah. how delightful they yeah. are. Just so many cute stories about the yeah. chickens. <laughs> and you can't
0: I don't think you can garden sustainably without chickens yeah. or ducks or somebody because yeah. Man, they do a great job. Oh, on yeah. yeah. Oh, as, Plus the poor, as slug numbers just, are naturally down. So it means yeah, there's, it's so, just, funny. Yep, I never <laughs> saw
2: another slug. Yeah. That was
0: the end of it. So great. Yeah, we still, um, we still say sorry when we're. When, even the slugs, really we have really, slug.
1: really big slugs over here. And yeah. even when we have to kill them, we're like, we must still say sorry every single time. It's like we still appreciate and value the life of every little small creature. It's a big one. We've got
0: some crazy non-native but, Belgian black slugs.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: we have
2: invasive slugs here too. Yeah. And it's hard every time. Yeah. I just, I still don't want anything to yeah. die. Like I'm, that's just never going to be mm. something I still don't like that I, something pain. I just can't, right. I can't, it's still really, really hard. Yeah. And I think it just always will be. Yeah. And at a certain point, I just accepted, mm-hmm. like, this is never going to feel mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. It's just always going to be sad and slightly heartbreaking mm-hmm. and really bittersweet. Yeah. And There's always going to be that sort of existential moment of, oh, death is coming. <laughs> and what is the void? And what is, you know, all of that. And, you know, I can laugh about it, but it's yeah, really true. It and is. I think some of us, we're just like, it's we're like that. It Not everybody feels it, it that yeah. deeply, but it's just the way I am. It's exactly. just exactly. whatever reason. It's just, it is what it is. Yeah. And you just, you have to it. Mm-hmm. And I still am glad I was born. And I still love Mm. being here. I love this planet. I love everything, even though it's going to die. And, you know, I'll be gone and then there will be more of it. Mm. And so, you know, we all got lucky. So
0: that's all there is really. I think, yeah, again, trying to put in place that gratitude and, um, you know being asking almost like for forgiveness it seems so like it's so comical but it's true like in that sense of like you know i'm sorry like please forgive me like this is what i'm doing and you see that all the time in in nature
2: you have to be humble like that's the only way otherwise it's we have such a we have such a capacity for hubris as humans and gosh doesn't like every religion and every folktale isn't that like one of the main messages is watch out for that human hubris watch out for that pride and that, um, that capacity to dominate, you know, like that's so much of what we should know (laughs) and we've just
0: lost in this culture. So we have to remember it Mm, and reconnect. There's
1: there's quite a big disconnect going on right now. And I think that's, hopefully that's what, a movement that's definitely happening we're seeing mm, around the world in australia it. and there's a yeah. lot of people coming together now a small community base that are actually supporting and that's
0: where the change will happen and in that's where we yeah
1: and even just yeah. getting this message out so we're really grateful to have you on yeah, here to, to so share much, this yeah, as well totally. for people so it may be able to plant some seeds and open their eyes up to um to really see outside their box of sort of beliefs as well and and maybe their upbringing and how that can be sort of um questioned and even just explore that area as well. So our
0: own beliefs about life and death.
1: We will definitely put the link into your book into our show notes as well.
0: Yeah. We'd love for people to Well
2: yeah, and that's like one of the things I always try to emphasize when I'm talking to vegans is, you know, the value system that you have is the right one. And that doesn't have to change. You know, it's like that the compassion and the the, the love for justice, you know, wanting to speak for the voiceless, you know, anything that questions human hubris or human entitlement like those really are the only values they're going to get us to the world that we need and it's so important but you don't have to give those up i'm just giving you more information so you can do it better it's really all it is because it's not the values that are yeah thank you Perfect. It's perfect. perfect. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> way
1: and Thank you so much. It's. I guess there's so much more that we obviously could share as well. But um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today. And we'll put links into everything into the show notes of your book and everything else. So thanks for that.
0: Thanks for joining us.
1: If you're enjoying our show so far, make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode.
0: And it means a lot to us if you leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as well as share this with friends and family, which will help us get this crucial knowledge out there.
1: If you'd like to connect with us, head on over to Instagram at liveholisticallyau, where you can learn more and ask us anything. See See you next time. time.